Hi everyone, Tony Lewis here and thanks for turning on and tuning in to the inaugural episode of Nothing to Promote. As I embark on this new venture, I thought it was integral to start off with someone I'm uh, familiar with, who'd be popular with the audience and someone I have a huge amount of respect for. On top of that, he's currently flying high at the peak of his presenting powers, so hopefully I can pinch a few pointers, learn a few lessons, and he can show me the ropes on my debut of NTP, because if you're about to witness... I'm very wet behind the ears, but stick with it as the guests alone are able to carry this pod. With my first guest, some radio listeners will recognise his Lancashire lingo. He's a familiar face with fight fans, and some will simply associate him with dancing fox. So grab a brew, a beer, or even some bubbles as we chew the fat over boxing, broadcasting, bingo, and maybe even Blackburn Rovers. So with nothing to promote... I'm delighted to welcome Mr. Adam Cattrall. And here he is. We all right? How are you, pal? I'm all right. Just having a bit of work done on the house. It's just overrunning, that's all, mate. So I apologise for that. If I have to break off, it'll only be for a couple of minutes just to let some lads out. It's okay, mate. How are you? Yeah, can't complain, mate. Can't complain. Yeah, well, first and foremost, mate, uh, I'm going to go on airplane mode because I don't want... Any embarrassments? I'm scared about the ring doorbell, the dog going nuts, all sorts. I'm sure you're well aware of all these complications that might happen. It adds to it. That's what adds to it. When your kids walk in in the middle of an interview or something like that, it adds to it. Yeah, so are you keeping, bud? <clears throat> I'm good, man. Um, it's just that good, it's just good, good that we've got a little bit of light at the end of the tunnel, isn't it? You know, that there's a, there seems to be a pathway now to uh, to normality and hopefully everything gets ticked off along the way. So therefore I can get back in uh, arenas and get traveling again. And I'm sure you're the same. 100% man. I mean, I think just to give you a bit of a update for everybody who's listening, well, both of them uh, people is that um, I think we met first in 2007 when you were <laughs> breakfast showing for Rocket FM. Uh, Do you know something? I was just thinking about that then of when it actually was, because I, I couldn't remember whether I was on the breakfast show or whether I was on a different show at that particular time. But now you've said it, it, it because we met at Blackpool Pleasure Beach, didn't we? Yeah, 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 yeah. So, yeah, it would have, it probably would have been a breakfast show. So you're right, 2007, yeah, man. Mad mad year. It was a scorching day of that. And I don't know if you remember that, obviously, Vernon Kay was opening, I think it was the infusion that day, and you were, like, on the launch of that. Yeah. You know, your voice sake, not your namesake, or you look like you're like, you know, your voice double Vern. And um, do you know, people were coming up asking for autographs to him. And I always take this all day. And I remember someone coming up saying, Excuse me, Vernon, can I just get a picture? And he said, Yeah, yeah, no worries. And they went, Oh, I wish you were Steve Jones. <laughs> <laughs> and he said, He turned around and went, Love, he said, I wish you were Pamela Anderson, but life's a bitch. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean? Just from there. But, I mean, obviously now you've kind of moved on um, into more of a sports network, popular on BT, talk sport, stuff like mm. that. I mean, you started Rock FM 2005, and then, you know, you flitted with Radio 1 for a little bit. Yeah. Did... You know, was that a natural progression for you or? 
Yeah, I think <clears throat> I've always had a. I've always been quite good with making plans of what I've, of what I wanted to achieve and do. Like when I was a kid, the first thing was I wanted to be like Chris Evans because he was the Radio One Breakfast Show host at the time when I was going to school and what have you. And when I started radio, when I started my love of it, when I was about 15, 16 on hospital radio, the goal was always to get to Radio One. That was it. It, it wasn't about, you know, it wasn't even being on Rock FM or anything like that. It was, I want to be a Radio One presenter. But obviously there's a progression. You don't just come at your, you know, at your bedroom straight onto Radio One. I mean, well, some people do do now, like, you know what I mean? Straight out of university cool. and, and they're rocking and rolling out. But at the time, it, it, it wasn't the case. So I was lucky enough off the back of, quite a decent um, uh, nightlife industry career to kind of land some decent contacts of what was happening in the radio world at that time. And there were a, there were a dance DJ called Mark Freejack who was, who was working at, <laughs> at, at Rock FM. Top guy, really, honestly, salt of the earth. Top I like guy. kind of going to Tokyo Joe's and stuff like that at Preston and stuff. Yes, yeah, well, I think he was resident in every single nightclub in the whole of the Northwest, mate. He was he was mint. And obviously, me flitting around and DJing all these nightclubs, you come across these characters. So you start chatting away and stuff, and you then say, oh, I'd love to be a radio presenter. I'd love to do this and love to that. And anyway, we, I th- Free Jack said to me, oh, well, Rock FM are looking for members of Street Team and all this type of stuff. And I'm like, Street Team? Come on, man. I could fucking do breakfast show at this time. <laughs> you know what I mean? But then I thought, yeah, you've got to start at the bottom and you've got you've got to you've got to get it in. You've got to get in somehow in order to be able to then make things happen for yourself. So that's what I did. I, I became a street team member at Rock FM. And then for a year, it was just the case of like knocking on the boss's door with demo tapes going, I could do your breakfast show, mate. Come on, let's get, let's get cracking. It? Anyway, it, it all, it all fell on deaf ears for about a year. And then he, he gave me an opportunity on new year's day with people wanting Christmas and new year off and all that. He said, go on then put your money where your mouth is, see what you're all about. And then I've kind of never really looked back from there because I went through Rock FM schedule really quickly got onto breakfast and what have you and did really well at that time. But always, always, I've always, going back to what you were originally talking about with focus and, and, and aspirations, it was always Radio 1. I was always, this sounds harsh, I was always using the platform that I was on at Rock FM to hone my talent, to get my skills right, yeah, to, to get good at what I was doing in order to then say, right, here we go, let's get to the let's get to the Champions League. That I'm sounds quite, quite cutthroat and... The thing is with you now, and great, just speaking to you now, man, I mean, like we said, it's like 14 years since I first met you, and you now seem exactly the same. And and thinking, I was thinking about key words about you, and I'm probably more familiar with you because, and I think I'm probably like one of your best mates because I kind of listen to you on the way home from gigs late at night on the sports bar or fine talk or whatever, or fine night. Yeah, yeah. Or the pods and stuff like that. So, I mean... To see you now and listen to you now, I mean, you've kind of kept that northern tone, haven't you? That's kind of... And it's brilliant to hear because my mates hammer me and take the piss. If I say soup of the day, it's like, it's soup of the day, isn't it? What were you saying yeah. soup of the day for? But you've yeah. kind of kept that. And do you think that's kind of become a kind of uh, part and parcel of you, what people associate with you? Yeah, I think audiences, I think, appreciate authenticity. It doesn't always work, you know what I mean? I mean... When you first burst onto a scene, people think, whoa, what's this? This is a little bit, you know, a bit different. But I think if you remain authentic and you remain true to yourself, over a period of time, people see that, you know, and they, they, they see that honesty in what you're, what you're trying to achieve. I remember one boss, when I said that I, 
I remember having a conversation with a group of um, directors at the time of me saying that I wanted to leave Rock FM in order to pursue the Radio 1 thing. And one, who was probably the highest ranked in that room at the time, he said to me, he said, you'll never get to national status with your accent. And I went, right, you fucker, I'm going to show you. <laughs> but that, it, it, I think it's a little bit of an old wives' tale, that, where people where people have this thing of PC and BBC English and all this type of stuff and being able to... You think, you know, going back to people from up north, you know, like, you know, obviously we're very proud of being northerners, aren't we? That's how we are. Uh, you know, kind of going back to Vernon, he kind of rolled the co the coattails a little bit of Peter K, didn't he? And Peter K just became massive. And suddenly yeah. that kind of northwest tone became yeah. quite popular, didn't it? You know, do you think you kind of jumped on that a little bit, you know, not knowingly, but... No, the, you, you, listen, Peter K, late, late 90s, opened the door up for a lot of people from where we were from, you know what I mean? Working class dudes from... You've never understood from, us. Yeah, from the northwest <laughs> of England. I mean, Peter, Peter K's rocking all, rocking it with his comedy, with all the TV shows he was doing in the stand-up. You go on holiday and you talk like this, someone goes, hey... Do you know that Peter K fella? Well, no, not personally know him, but I know who you're re referring to. Yeah, of course. We all talk like that. It's not like you're trying to mimic somebody. This is what we're all like. He's just kind of just showcasing. Yeah, yeah. What With your pet <laughs> Yeah, you know what I mean? He's showcasing that. And, and yeah, I think late 90s, I mean, like you, you, you just mentioned uh, um, when my radio uh, career kind of started, but around that time, I was obviously in nightclubs DJing away and stuff like that. And you could feel the popularity of people from the Northwest starting to grow. Like you said, you had Peter and obviously Paddy off the back of that. Vernon was doing extremely well at that time. And a lot of Northern comedians were coming through on a, on a good scene and people wanted to know more about him, like Jason Manford and all these types of characters, you know, Dave Spikey. And then on the radio, you started to hear more local voices on a national scale. Vernon's probably the prime one that we're referring to there on BBC Radio 1 for that young audience. So yeah, I, I, I don't think I consciously wrote it I was just lucky that maybe Peter was the trailblazer. He did. He opened the door for everybody, and then everybody went, went came looking for. Is there any talent in the northwest? And I, I was just there, and, and people kind of gave me an opportunity off the back of it, thinking, oh, "He's all right, this lad. Let's let's give him a crack." And do you think, you know, I mean, listen, mate, looking sharp. I know you've been for a job before you've done this, so <laughs> you know. But I mean, do, have you found that transition? from now going from radio to TV? Because what happened when you got to radio on? Was it like, this is amazing? Or was it more a case of, is this it kind of thing? You know what I mean? Nah. Uh, that's the first time ever. That Maybe that's an exaggeration. I remember the first time I did a live radio show and I shit my pants. The first the first time, because the process of getting to radio, radio one, you do like um, several pilots before you even hit like the real live air and the first time i ever did a pilot in that building my ass went mate i actually I, 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 i'll be honest with you i messed it up i messed it up big time i walked away from it thinking i have just messed the biggest opportunity that has ever come my way and luckily for me <clears throat> i'll never forget this moyles's producer did it uh, a girl called uh, rachel i think her surname is malander People who, who were big Moyles fans will know of producer Rachel from back in the day. And she was the person that looked after me at that day. And she could tell how much it meant to me. And I remember going in, doing the pilot, and I come away and I just went, I've absolutely blown that. There's no way that the boss is going to listen to that and he's going to give me a radio show. And within five minutes of me walking out the door, my phone went and it was her. And she, uh, 
She went, what did you think? So I was as cutthroat as ever, just dead honest with her. And she went, don't worry, nobody's ever going to hear it. Come back tomorrow and we'll sort it out. Brilliant. And I went, and that just went, all right, sound. And then I went back the next day because I've been through the process the day before and I absolutely kicked the shit out of it. And next thing you know, I'm on Radio 1. So yeah, I've probably got a, I've got, I've got a few people like that to actually thank who've, uh, who've hid some crap work of mine That's, down the years. <laughs> you know, obviously we know each other fleetingly and, I didn't want to do too much research on you because, you know, there's some interesting stuff on the web, isn't there? Like, I bet that you kind of married Gemma, your co-host back in the day. No, uh, yeah, I was the priest. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, man, it was... Do you remember that episode of Friends where Joey... Cattrall. Yeah, well, well, that episode of Friends when Joey Tribbiani married... Yeah. I can't remember who he married, but he, he became a priest, didn't he? He married it. He was married so as a soldier. I think he was dressed as a soldier, wasn't he? Yeah, so... Gemma was my co-presenter at the time, and um, she she'd fallen head over heels for. I mean, they're still married now. Sean, fantastic fella, um, but I took the mick out of it constantly because she was always the single girl on the show. You know what I mean? And for yeah. her to be in a, a serious relationship was quite a new dynamic to the program that we were making. So I was just constantly like that annoying older brother, battering the living daylights out of her on the radio. But then it came around where we we did this thing where she got married at the top of Blackpool Tower. <laughs> she's, the fir- she's the first person to have ever done that. We arranged all that, her and uh, her and Sean. Uh, and I was, I got ordained on the internet <laughs> and I ended up marrying him. It was mega, man. What a do that was. Yeah, tremendous. That was, like, that, was, that was the year before I left that. That was about 2009, that. So some people might be listening to you now and thinking, you know, not familiar with your face, but recognise that kind of tone and think, where do I know that from? And obviously, it's from you were the fox, weren't you? You were yeah. foxy bingo, weren't you, dude? Well, again, that's that's another thing that was never ever part of the plan. It was just one of those things that came along as I was in the search of trying to get to Radio One. Because what when I was at Rock FM, I employed um, an agency, management team, whatever, in order to help me get to the next levels and to try and unlock London because I was based in the northwest. So part of that was obviously growing profile and starting to lend my voice to various bits. So I, I was like um, the continuity announcer on ITV2, um, the voiceover for loads of different random television programs on Sky and all this type of stuff. But then like, I got asked, would you do animation? Would you do like character voices? And I said, fucking right, man. Get me involved with that. Yeah, I'd have a right screen with it. Thinking, yeah, I don't know, then I'm going to go a bit next Mickey Mouse or something. You know what I mean? Or I'm going to end up on Peppa Pig. Nah. <laughs> They come along with this proposal saying, listen, this firm have come along and they're after the, I never forget the brief, right? The brief said on it, uh, cocky Blackpool bingo caller, right? That's what the brief said. That's me, that. That's me. Yeah, there you go. So then next thing you know, um, I'm in there doing this, I'd say audition, but I think they'd already said, the minute I walked through the door, they went, yeah, we just want this dude. <laughs> so I went in, did the, did the voice reel or whatever it may be. And then, went on this mad journey where I ended up be, I ended up becoming the writer for it, mate. Because if you think about it, the, uh, this, this was a Southern company trying to write Northern and that don't work. If you, if you're a bunch of geezers from down, down South who are all apples and pears and you're trying to be an authentic geezer from yeah, the Northwest yeah. of England, after stuff that I was saying, just in normal conversation, they were looking at me going, what, what are you going on about you? So listen, lads, right. Said, so I'll be the writer for this as well as the voice, and we'll take we'll take over everything. Don't worry, and I'll make it look mint. And next thing you know, we're uh, we're making some of the most bizarre adverts ever. 
but it went mad. I mean, I did it, I did it for 10 years. I, I only finished it really in at the start of 2017. So I did that for 10 years doing that voice and we were. And that's quite a lucrative thing as well. Something like that. You know, just, it's like. Mate, it's- it helped. Mate, that, do you know something? I don't, without doing that, I don't think I'd have been able to take the chances that I took in order to get to Radio 1 because I had to leave Rock FM and I was out of work for like nearly a year because Radio 1 wouldn't take me straight from commercial radio. There needed to be a bit of a break. There was there was a falling out between BBC and, and commercial radio over the JK and Joel thing. And, I, <clears throat> and that was kind of collateral damage of the back of it. So I had to wait a year before I went there. So for a year, I was like in London doing voiceovers and various things like that. But like you said, I mean, it was my main source of income. So I, I, was, I was lucky that when Foxy Bingo came around on... I think we recorded March of every year or something for the whole year, just like like two massive sessions. And that was like my yearly wage and it sorted me right out, mate. I could have put my feet up for the rest of the year, but it helped me just then crack on and, oh, uh, mega. I, I, and, and I pursue. That. I remember like my missus just used to go, before, <clears throat> even when the fox turned up, she'd go, I know, it's your mate who's the voice. Because I'd go, that's, that's got him, man. <laughs> it, was, it was bigger on Jeremy Kyle. The adverts were cool, man. I mean, we did some wicked adverts with like Hollywood stars and all this type of stuff. But the sponsoring of the Jeremy Kyle show, you're probably hearing it now in my voice when I'm saying it. <laughs> <laughs> Oxybingo.com. Yeah. That, yeah, that yeah. was the big thing. Because everybody, for some reason, students and all them type of characters, they were all watching Jeremy Kyle during the day. And we were on for five, six years. It was just mad that my voice was synonymous with it. Fun, fun, fun times on, man. So, yeah, I mean, but- so there you kind of... You know, you've had a face for radio. You've been behind. You've been behind a fox. Yeah. Now you kind of in front of the camera. Is it was that something? You know, you kind of had this aspiration to be on the radio one. Was you kind of well, I could do that on the box with another passion because listening to you, and I think that it comes across really well. And a couple of lads who were big fight fans who I spoke to last night said, "You know what? Can you just tell him that he's just a great broadcaster for the." fight you know and they love it and i think you know that's comes across that it's something that you're passionate about yeah it always helps i mean i'm not sure about the football because you don't seem to know much about that <laughs> I'm, su- I'm surprised it's taking you this long to talk about that seeing well, that you won at the weekend well, anyway well yeah no but you you are becoming a proper city fan aren't you know that you live in stock Mate, it's my little lad. He he wants yeah. to be a city fan so i'll take him on you know what i mean he's going to go he's Gonna go and watch Blackburn, doesn't it? Let's be straight, mate. We're crap. It does, but I mean, going. Would you say that a boxing is has always been a bigger passion than football? <clears throat> um, that's interesting because boxing's always been a part of the narrative of my love of sport. Because my dad was a massive uh, fan, late eighties, early nineties. The likes of the Eubanks and the Bens of this world, you know what I mean? They were always on TV, and we were lucky then because it were on terrestrial TV, weren't it? ITV at night nice. and you might get to watch that and then it'd blend into match of the day and all those type. Well, just Las Vegas, the just yeah. the glamour of fight night. I mean, if you, if you, as you're watching that documentary, you'll see Schwarzenegger's in the audience, Stallone's in the audience, all them characters, you know what I mean? You're like, this is mega. And the who's who's there. What is this? And then you end up watching Rocky Balboa films in the Hollywood and the narratives and the, and the beautiful stories that are, are connected to it. So it's gone like that a little bit. And through the nineties, I were lucky to be able to watch Naz, Eubank, Ben, Lennox Lewis coming through. And I just fell for it. 
I just fell for it at that time. But I would say it in the 90s, the prominent sport in my life was football. Blackburn were good. We were okay. winning the Premier League, for crying yeah. out loud. Yeah, you know, so... Could you play uh, a bit? Could you play a bit? Not at any major standard, mate. Not a, you know what I mean? I got to a decent district level. Nothing to, to be writing home about. I just enjoyed it. Just enjoyed yeah. it, you know what I mean? I still enjoy it now. Yeah, and I, I enjoy it more because my little lad's an absolute fanatic about it. You know, you've met him. So being able to go to the matches with him is top class. But then f- fight sports, the thing, that I'm, the thing that I'm most interested about in fight sports is the people that do it. It isn't necessarily the sport itself. Don't get me wrong. I absolutely buzz off a fight night. I love a fight night and I'm into the intricacies of it because it's my career now. But it's the human beings that do it. Footballers, yeah, I'm still interested in them, but they kind of live a little bit of a modicoddled life. You know what I mean? There's a lot yeah. of them, isn't there, ultimately? Yeah. There's a lot more professional footballers and, and if you, fighters. Exactly. And if you think of, like, these, I mean, elite-level professional footballers now are signed at these clubs at eight, nine years of age. They're taken away. They're absolutely pampered. They get out. They want... you. They're looked after. Absolutely looked after. So, therefore, they'd have no real concept of the real world. You know, and that's not disrespect to him. That's just their life now. That's, that's, that's all right. They're still interesting guys and girls, but it, it it doesn't resonate with me as much as a fighter. You know what I mean? That's come from the same places that I've come from and lives the same things that I've lived, but then has this mentality of, I mean, think about it, signing for a fight. We've all been in a situation where it's gone off on the schoolyard or something and you fight in the emotion and it happens there and then. You know what I mean? You're in, you're in. Were you a fighter at school? I, I, I don't imagine you was a scrapper because I think you just... I'm a lover, mate. I'm a lover. <laughs> no, but you're, just, you're, you're a nice guy. That you, I'm sure we've all got a bit of needle in us here and there. Yeah. But, you know, but yeah, sorry. Not but, at all. Not not at all. Not a, not what you would class as a fighter, no. Every now and again, it'd go off. I'm one of them, right? That And my little lad's got a little bit of it. Has he? Where I will always back my mates up, even if, yeah. even if, the being an absolute knobhead, and that's got me in trouble a couple of times. <laughs> it's gone. I'm thinking, what is he doing? I'm going to have to go because he's going to get filled in. <laughs> so one of them types of characters. We've all been in that situation though, where we where it's gone off because of emotion. Of Fighters fascinate me because they sit there, they sign a contract, say, right, I'll see you in twelve weeks for his fight. Yeah, eh? What are you talking about? And then they go off, they train their asses off, they diet, they cut, they're cutting all this weight and stuff like that. All the while, for 12 weeks, they're thinking about this dude, punching this dude's head in. That's That in itself fascinates me. And then they walk out into a room packed, 20,000 people yeah. watching them. And then with the risk, knowing full well the risk, that within 30 minutes, there could be a viral meme getting sparked out. That absolute that is well, it, could, it could easily be worse than that, mate. In you know, in some tragic place. Of course, of course, just, yeah. I mean, <laughs> you're obviously a massive fan. I kind of, you know, being the day or night job, being you know, working most Saturday nights. Well, I used to anyway. You know, just I kind of missed out on that a little bit, but <laughs> I mean, you've got to have respect for anybody who gets in that ring, whether you know, what level it is, whether it's just in a boxing gym or whether it's at MGM, whatever. You know, I mean, it's it's like you said, it's an elite mentality, isn't it? And do you, because you're fascinated by the fighters. Yeah. You must see the aftermath, whether there's a genuine dislike of the person, the fighting, which probably makes it easier. But 
you know, if me and you were like, right, let's go, you know, I've got no kind of needle at the moment. Anyway, yeah, you know. <laughs> no, so, I mean, do you kind of see that and does that amaze you even more? Yeah, it's a business go, to him. Oh, it's a business. It's a business to him, you know what I mean? The, the way that they put it into the, the way that they manage to just disassociate themselves from what is happening and and I don't know whether they create different narratives in their own head in order to be able to get the job done is absolutely fascinating. They're, at the end of the day, they're, they're doing it in order to feed the families. That's what they're doing it for. I mean, there's only a small percentage that come out of this with world honours, major money. You know, there's the rest of them, 95% of them are just doing it to make a living, man. Going going and have a scrap for a living. And I think you see that a little bit in the Bruno Tyson thing, don't you? You know, latterly, it's, it's quite a sad picture when you see them at the end and it, you know, the sacrifice they've made and it's just, I suppose you've got the empathy with them and it's just like, why, why, why did you do that? But then you know why they did it. Yeah, yeah. You know. It's a murky, it's horrible business as well, that Tyson Bruno one where you know full well that Don King, for example, is taking all Tyson's money and he's, he was the guy, you know what I mean? There's there's always some shark knocking about in, in this murky game, always. I think that's, that's the truth about most kind of entertainment businesses, isn't it? Whether it's an agent or it's a promoter or it's a venue, you know, somebody's taking a person. When you find out somebody's making a lot more than you, then <laughs> that's when, that's the person you want in the ring, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, man. So, I mean, you... You are now, without pissing up your back too much, pretty pretty much top of the game as it comes, especially with the UFC. Would you say now you are kind of um, more UFC than boxing or would you think it's quite an even balance? Um, I think a perception, yeah. I think um, I'm more of a prominent figure in covering the UFC, mainly because I'm visual more. Uh, so good yeah, I'm so good looking now. <laughs> so, uh, no, well, that's what I'm doing. I'm doing a lot more UFC on, on visual platforms, aren't I, for, for BT and various others. And it's such so I think, business now. It's like how you kind of go back to the days on ITV and stuff like that. Those fights were kind of few and far between, weren't they? Maybe, what, four years, something like that, would you say? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Now, yeah. This is what I wanted to do to link you into the UFC to the music. Is that the last UFC I've got it there is UFC two five nine? Yeah. What is the first UFC that you remember? Wow, man. Uh, what? What? Um, probably. Probably UFC one hundred. Yeah. Because. Uh, Bispin was involved in it. Yeah, I'd say UFC 100 is probably the first time card-wise that I'd made the conscious effort to stay up of an evening to watch um, some stuff. I've, I've seen stuff previously, but it was always like re-watching it, you know what I mean? The morning after yeah. or uh, or on the internet or whatever it may be. Obviously, I've seen stuff from earlier. Um, well, this is what... One of the things, because I worked, um, my first job was picking golf balls up at a driving range. And right. the other with that, he was a bit of a rum turkey and he got into the wrestling, you know, and he he kind of gave me these like VHSs saying, you want to watch these? These guys are amazing. 
And it was like the Gracies, you know, is it Hoyson, Hicks and Gracie? Yeah, yeah, yeah. They were like, the, they started off, the Dons of it did it. Is that, am I right in that? I mean... Well, that's it, how we started. Yeah, that's what it... Right, the, whole, the, the whole premise of um, mixed martial arts, I suppose, but in particular, the ultimate fighting championship is which is the best fighting style. So you've got these, these uh, the Gracie family that kind of invented Brazilian jiu-jitsu, yeah. which is the art. The best way of describing it is the art of fighting off your back. Because if you think about it, nine times out of 10, a street fight ends like up on... Like Tokyo Joe's. Yeah, it ends up on the floor <laughs> because nobody knows what they're really doing, right? You're all having a little bit of a grab. Oh, all right, you've fallen over drunk. Now you're on the deck. How do you fight whilst you're on the floor? And the Gracie family invented this unbelievable way of fighting from a ground position. So the, the whole premise of the UFC is, is wrestling best? Is Brazilian jiu-jitsu best? Is yeah. kickboxing best? All these different styles, is it best? When it started, they had open weights. The, the, you know, you had small guys fighting huge, massive guys, you know, jacked up on God knows what. So that was the the whole thing about it. It was always about which is the better fighting style. Now what you're seeing is this game has developed over this over 23, 24 years. It's evolution, it, I suppose, right? Yeah. What you're getting now is mixed martial artists. You're not you're not getting kickboxers fighting wrestlers. You're not getting Brazilian jiu-jitsu specialists taking on judokas. You're not getting that no more. Everybody is working on every aspect of mixed martial arts in order to become a the complete fighter. So you're getting mixed martial arts now, and um, it's mate, it's fascinating. When I'm sat there thinking, right, how is a certain fight going to play out, and it goes in a totally different direction because they're so multi-skilled, blows my mind. Yeah, I mean, and part and parcel of your job after is that you've got to go and interview somebody, and I'm I'm sure it's it's a lot easier to interview and question somebody who's just won or yeah. you know knocked out somebody. You know, but you have also got to interview the guy who's just been beat, you know, and that their ego is just taking a pacing because there's a lot of trash talking in the UFC. Well, I'm, you know, in the fight game in general, is is that something you think, oh, fucking hell, I've got to go and speak to him about this now? Yeah. It's the, it's, they're the hardest interviews. Nine, it doesn't always happen, right? Because the if, if, for example, if someone's just been knocked out, you'll never interview them because they're always off hospital-wise and being assessed for concussion, all that type of stuff. But if someone's just lost a really close fight and it and it only really happens if they're a mega star in a mega, mega fight that you would you would also speak to the loser as well, well as the winner. And they are the most difficult, especially, I remember, I mean, one that a lot of UFC fans always want to speak to me about is when I spoke to Dustin Poirier off the back of getting beaten off Habib in Abu Dhabi at UFC 242. question for you. Well, I suppose, I mean, this is a lad that had built himself up to fight one of the best fighters on the planet. This was his world title shot. This was his moment. And he got beat. And he was heartbroken. I mean, the kid was, I said the kid, he's, he's a good old man. But he's, he, he, he's uh, TV gold though as well, isn't it? You know, for you, it's gold. Uh, yeah, but in the moment, I'm not thinking like that. No, I, well, I, this is what I kind of... Want. I understand, I understand, yeah. I understand what my bosses and my producers are like, yeah, I understand it. Cause I understand from an audio point of view, from a visual point of view, I understand what works cool. but in the moment. I am, I'm completely lost in the moment at that time. You I am purely like just dug it in and just going, it'll be, I, I, I am, I am purely fixed on the human element of the conversation. And 
all if anybody's watching this that ever has aspirations of interviewing people and being in that situation empathy that's it just have empathy for that for that moment you're not trying to get a new story you're not trying to you know pick the bones out of something that you know what's just happened you know that you know all the situations you know that the guy's in a bit of a mess because his life or he or he believes his dreams have been shattered it's not necessarily the case because they can always come back and look at dustin now he's just beating connor for crying out loud you know but in that moment forget everything else forget the noise concentrate on the human being that is in front of you and just have empathy for the moment and that's it you know and nine times out of ten it will make a compelling view that's it i mean that's that, that when you say it so simply it's not rocket science is it but i think and how we speak about the fighters within the broadcasters within the media especially you know it's so current and topical with everything that's going on within the media at the moment is that and yet again, you know, I don't want to give too many superlatives to yourself, but that seems like a real strength to you, that your empathy and your humanity towards them as a person, as a, not as a fighter, but as a human being. Now, I think maybe, is that a niche that I think that you probably tapped into more than anybody else in the fight game, would you say? Um, the, the funny thing about that, you can say things about yourself, you know. You can. Well, me- do you know something? I, I don't see it. I don't see it, and I've tried to analyze this because, obviously, you're saying it to me. I've, I've had other people say various similar things to me about it, about my my style of talking to to fighters, and that's what it is. Too many too many people talk at people rather than to people, and there's a massive difference in that, a huge difference in that, and it doesn't matter who they are doesn't matter if you're the biggest pop star in the world or a Hollywood actor or an elite level fighter or this, that, and the other. You all sit down to have a shit, man. You know what I mean? Come on. We're all, we're all normal human beings with real thoughts, real things going on in lives, whether it be being dads, husbands, wives, whatever we are, we've got some real things going on in our life. So have a conversation. Be human in, in, what, in what you're saying and understand that they're human don't put people on pedestals. Speak to them, not at them. So in saying that, then, I mean, I'm sure it's something you get asked, but who, who's been the best person you've interviewed? And you can't say two guy. I've never spoke to two guy, which is, which is gutting because I've tried. I've had a word, obviously. <laughs> He's not returning your emails. Mate, listen, for my, my birthday last year, right, Mickey... Mickey Gray got, like, loads of ex-Rovers players to do me a video message and all this type of stuff. And he was mint. And at the end of it, I was thinking, it's going to be two guys, it's going to be two guys, it's going to be two guys, it's going to be two guys. And, and he weren't there, right? And I said to Mickey, I said, what happened to two guy? He goes, he never got back to me. But allegedly, I don't know whether Mickey was softening it for me, about two, three days later, two guy then got back to him, said, oh, Mickey, I'll do the message. He's like, it's gone now. So if I don't get one for me 40th this year, I for your big four. Oh, in my mate, shit's hitting the fan if two guy doesn't send me a message this he year. He was having a couple of Marlboros, wasn't he? Um, Love that story. Who is, who's the best? Mate, I don't, it's so difficult. It's so difficult to say who the best is. I think one of the most memorable interviews that I've done is, um, I set up... You don't um, have to say me for the one and only yeah. one in Norton. 
<laughs> yeah, of course, mate. Of course, you used to turn up on my radio show every week. What's going on this week? How's Lionel Richie getting on? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Anyway, the um, I set up uh, a new podcast last year with Frank Warren, the Heavyweight Podcast, and the first episode on that was Tyson Fury, and it was we did that on the Thursday before he beat Wilder in Vegas, and we were in Vegas when we, when we did it. We went to his Vegas house the ones that he stayed in out there, well off the strip, just turned up. And it was weird because Tyson's there, his wife's there, obviously friends and family that were staying with him at the time were all there. Went in and we had the most intimate conversation about mental health. And he was so open and so like talking about his suicidal thoughts and all these types of things. Two days before the biggest fight of his life. And he was just so giving in that moment. And I come away from it thinking this guy's fighting for the heavyweight championship of the world in two days. <laughs> and he's just done that. It, it, that was one. Um, Ricky Atten was my boxing hero as a kid. You know what I mean? I said kid, late teens, followed Ricky everywhere. So to, so to sit down with Ricky Atten and, and talk about his life story and life experiences and basically just fanboy on him for, uh, for an hour was mint. And Naz, Naz is the man, mate. When you get an opportunity, Naz doesn't do interviews. So when you get a chance to sit down with Prince Nazim Ahmed and and just talk about how amazing he is, <laughs> you, it's 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 a phenomenal, phenomenal experience. And Connor's always giving, mate. Connor's just always amazing. So no, I mean yeah, but, he's, he's a star, isn't he? When you think of oh, it's rock star stuff, yeah. You know, a list. He's like a star list, isn't he? You know what I mean? It's just. Do you kind of sometimes go, fucking hell, how have I got here? I don't think like that. This is, well, again... Are you just in the zone? You know, it's like your job. You know, do you think it'll be something that you kind of reflect on on the flight home or... Because, you know, it's, it's, you kind of say to, you know, the Dustin one, you you were like, get yourself home to your family, rest up when you'll be back. You know, and it's it's an emotional kind of watch, isn't it? Yeah, I think I tweeted you. You get home because you've got you're out there working. Obviously, you've not been beat to a pulp with a bit of luck, but yeah. you know you still got to get home. And and I just think you know sometimes from you know experience when you can you, you've done something and been up there on a, a gig or an emotion that reflection sometimes you just kind of go fucking hell, man, that's mad. That's it's a bit it's. Interesting that you say that, right? Because I'd, I'd like to get your thought on it. Because my um, covering the UFC, for example, I'm away for a, a full week, so I'd fly out like Sunday night, arrive, get myself together, and then from 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 about a Monday afternoon, wherever I am, let's say it's in Vegas or something, I will, will then be chocker to the following Sunday where I'm interviewing fighters, making programs, covering all aspects of stuff, and it's full on. It's twenty four seven. You're in it. You you have no time for anything else. It is purely on that fight and that fight week. That's what you're doing. So even conversations away from that don't exist because the people that you're in with and socializing with are about that. It's your work team, you know? So you're not just having a general chat with your missus or uh, or your pals about various other bits of aspect. There's football matches going on that are just passing you by. You're in on that. So when I come home, it takes me about 48 hours to acclimatize maybe a bit longer to just become a normal human being again, you know, and, Adam to be Adam and yeah. Just... Yeah. And, and you come back and your kids are buzzing that you dad's on wicked. Here we go. But what have you got? Like, <laughs> well, yeah, there's always that. There's always that mate. But then you, you, 
you're frazzled and, and you you yeah. you all your energy's gone and you're not you're not the human being that they want you to be in that particular yeah. moment because you're just not there you're not in that headspace million percent and I'm, I'm i'm lucky that my wife has kind of worked she's worked in this industry but not to these crazy levels but she kind of understands it and she understands me so therefore she knows that when I'm booked to go on a trip, yeah, I'm away for seven days, but I'm kind of away for 10 because mm-hmm. it's it's a me. As well. Yeah, it takes you till about Tuesday, then Wednesday. Right, I'm, back. I'm, I'm a bit normal now. You know what I mean? I've had a cottage pie last night and a couple of pints. Sweet as a nut. Right, let's, uh, let's watch a few episodes of Coronation Street and we can be sweet again. You know what I mean? But then two weeks later, it's like, right, you've got to go again, son. Yeah. That's it. That's just, that's the way it is. You do give. You're, it's, it's the same for you. When you. You're not turning up and do it. You're not just turning up for door. It, it ain't that. I'm turning up because I want to be the best at what I'm doing. Always. I've always been that guy. I've always, whether I was doing music entertainment radio, I wanted to be the best at it. When I got to radio, when I wanted to be the best, it never worked out. But now I'm in sports radio. I want to be the best dude. I want to be the best at all these types of things. So when I do these interviews and people pay me compliments and they say, mate, I love that interview. I love that interview. I'm going, I want to give you more. You haven't even seen, you've only seen a tiny percentage. I want more of it. So I'm constantly thinking now. Yeah, I'm constantly thinking now. People think I'm people think I'm this, right? Well, I need to stay there at least. But you want but I want to go, I want to go here, man. Amazing. You know what I mean? So the work then you're doing more. You're doing more in order to get to those next levels. And that obviously takes more energy. So I'm lucky that I've got a family that kind of understands that. And one thing that I always commit to, as you fully well know, mate, is a good holiday when i have my holiday there's no phones there's no connection to my work or anything like that i am literally boom just a few take that dance routines that champ get get, get me on the white aisle there you go <laughs> but going back to music what i wanted to link to the uh ufc 259 and you said ufc 100 going to the music no do you know what the latest no that's what i call music is what number it is I would not have a clue, mate. Jeez. It's, it's a long no, time since no. I've done a silver wedding. <laughs> <laughs> it's no 107. Jeez. So in a similar elk, can you remember the first no album that you ever saw or bought or listened to? Yeah. Um, what number it was? Now that's, mate, now that's what I call music. Eight or something, mate. It was my eight. No way. That was my. That's that's exactly was mine. It was mate. I'm I'm being serious because I went through a period of collecting them because I was like I said doing the mobile discos and stuff like that, and they were just easy. They had them all on there. Get a bit of S Club on that lad. You know what I mean? Better man, man number five. You're away, son. (laughs) I always used to buy them. Always, but yeah, I would. I would go as far back as eight. And the song I remember for me. Was status quo. We're in the army now. We're in the army. Now. Remember that? Wow. It was terrible. But wow. man, it's mad that you said eight. That's that's yeah. exactly it. I've the, been... the fir- what I will say. The first check this. This is cool. Everybody's got a shit first album, haven't they? Like they bought, I don't know, Zig and Zag or something like that. The first album, literally, that I bought with my own money, and I blagged my mum and dad to let me go and buy it, and I bought it on full twelve inch. Michael Jackson, bad. God, so I think you saw. I think we've had that conversation before. I'm having it. Listen, my second one's Bros and Push It, but I'm not even admitting that. I'll just go with Michael Jackson and Bad. Yeah, you, you, I mean, it's, it's a cool first, isn't it? So, I mean, 
just going back to the interviews and stuff, is there anybody now you'd kind of go, I'd love to do that, that he's the one or she's the one, pardon the pun on that one, um, you know, where you kind of go, the next? Yeah, th- mate, there's loads. There's, there's, I'd love... I'd love a one-on-one with Joshua. Love it, you know, but he's he's a commercial machine now, isn't he? You know what I mean? And it's very difficult to get in those situations where you're just He's a real Foxy Bingo fan now. Maybe, maybe. You never know, mate. You might We might get to those levels. There's a there's a lad in the UFC who lost at the weekend, actually, called Israel Adesanya. I'd love to just do a... I've done plenty of interviews with him, plenty, but they've all been over Zoom during these crazy mad times. I, want, I love the face-to-face. I love the energy of being in the room with it with the same human being, you know what I mean? So I'd love that. But just going off piece now, right? I have in in obviously I've been doing this for what 15, 16 years, and I've had I've had three opportunities to interview either one of the Gallagher brothers, right? And I've turned them all down. And the reason and the reason why I've bottled it, and, and, and that's legit, I've bottled it is because I have them dudes here, right? They are, going back to what I was saying before about pedestals and not being able to put people, I can't get out of my head of being a 13, 14 year old kid, being on main road and watching that concert, man. I just can't, I can't, it doesn't, it doesn't leave me. I don't want to turn up and Liam be a dickhead with me. Right? I can't have it. We've had this conversation. Do you remember having this conversation? Yeah, yeah, we did it to be fair. I remember, I remember us talking about it. I, I would love I would love to do a one-on-one with Liam Gallagher, love to do a one-on-one with Noel Gallagher, but I, I, just for the off chance that it's not amazing, from my point of view, it'll be amazing, you know, but from my point of view, I'd rather just have the idea of it being amazing than the reality. A oh, good one. Well, just, you know, just a couple more questions, mate, and I'll let you get off because I appreciate, you know, the kids have got to get picked up from school and, you know, nah, sod them. Sod them, they're eight, mate. You know what I mean? They went back this week. They've got the scooters. <laughs> um, I asked my mates that I alluded to before what they thought I should speak to you about, them being big fight fans, Dan and Chris. And they kind of came up with a similar thing. And because you are in the broadcasting game and now, like, fighting is kind of going in a new direction, isn't it? You know, is it like DAZN that's coming and featuring and also Triller? Yeah. Think that that's kind of new age of broadcasting yet again. I think um, just the way that people are consuming content is changing, isn't it? You know, streaming services. People's attention span seems to be an awful lot shorter than they used to be. Nobody sits down anymore and watches long versions of stuff. They want it now. If it doesn't exist for a minute in my Instagram feed, I'm not interested. I'm like, oh, all right, cool. So this is content- going to empires. Exactly. So content makers have got to make things in order to catch people's attention. That's kind of always been the case for me anyway, with the way that I'm approaching making stuff. I've I've tried to teach myself to be able to speak in sound bites, which is then social media friendly, which then you can point back towards the actual longer version of what you're trying to make. Yeah, I think television, as we know, it isn't going to exist in 10, 15 years time. It's all going to be streaming services. It's all going to be Netflix style things where people are living on demand lives and they can have on demand television. They can have it whenever they want to have it. And that's, I think the way that we're going from a, from a fight point of view, this is show business at the end of the day. It's people need to get out of their head. And there's, there's a lot of snobbery around 
these new platforms coming in and is this gonna is this answer gonna relate to my next question i wonder whether it's going to be what's your opinions on do you think that boxing and fighting is fighting do you think that that's it you know so whether it's a youtuber versus youtuber or youtuber right yeah this is where i was going to go yeah you know, this is yeah i think this is where you were kind of going to which so we're, we're seeing a lot more of it we're seeing a lot more of um old guys coming out of retirement and, uh, and performing on Triller. We saw Tyson, didn't we? And Roy Jones Jr. do it. We're hearing that Tyson and uh, Evander's going to be doing it again at some point this year. I've no problem with any of this at all because first and foremost, this is an entertainment game. People keep thinking it's a sport. No, it's not. It's a business. It's a business. That's what you're here for. It's a numbers game. That's the first thing that you need to be considering. People who are believing in the purity of the sport, that's cool, man, but you're watching the wrong thing. That's not what the first primary thought process is of one, the fighter, and most certainly the promoter and the television broadcaster. They're not interested in that. It's a, num it's a numbers game. What brings in the most amount of audience? All right? Now, you can have guys out there that are sensationally talented, miles better fighters than God knows who, but if they're not pulling numbers in, they ain't going to get paid. Whereas you can have this kid off YouTube rock on with 20 million subscribers and go, I'll have a fight. Sweet as a nut, son. Get on the zone. Here we go. There's a few quid because you're going to bring in these, these big numbers. Now, in general, I have no problem with any of this happening. My problem always comes from how it's marketed and how it's sold to the audience. So there was one last year, for example, where you had, I think it was the Jake Paul KSI one. And you had Billy Joe Saunders on the undercard and you had Devin Haney on the undercard and both at the time were world champions on the undercard of the of the YouTube guy. So I'm like, okay, cool. How is this being sold? And Sky took all the top-level boxing team and I'm watching the coverage and I'm thinking, you're telling the audience that this dude at the top of the bill, this is, you're telling them that this is legit boxing. That's not how this should be marketed. There's boxing and the purity of the sport. And don't get me wrong, use the YouTube guy in order to sell the other dudes yes. to get to get to build their audience, to get more eyes on what they're doing. But be honest with the audience about what they're watching at the top. You know what I mean? What they're watching at the top is a glorified white collar. And I think if you're honest with the narratives of how it's sold, I ain't got a problem with anybody making a few quid in this game, man. Crack on. You, you know, if people want to pay for it, let's do it. Absolutely but make sure you're selling them a truthful narrative rather than a false one. Yeah, and and in a similar kind of song that you kind of, you know, included previous, there's, do you think there's kind of been that knocking on the door with that type saying, give me a chance, give me a chance, give me a chance, I'm working their way up, or they've just kind of gone in because of their exposure kind of thing? It's a numbers game, isn't it? It's yeah. a numbers game, you know? I think there's a there's a lot of old people involved in boxing. There's a lot of old mentalities and a lot of old attitudes. And it's filtered down from years and years of tradition. Oh, it's a, it's a sweet science, sweet science, man. And this is the way we've done it. And this is the way it's always been. Doesn't mean it's right for the modern world. The modern world has changed. So therefore what you're finding is a lot of, a lot of younger fighters coming through now are starting to get this. I mean, look at Ryan Garcia over in the States, young lad, very good fighter, is he elite level? Is he the best lightweight out there right now? No, he's not. I don't think he is. I think there's at least three, maybe four other guys that are better than him in that division. But is he the money in the division? Yeah, he is. Why? Because he fully understands the importance of his social media platforms, that presence on those platforms, being in, being 
attractive to a certain demographic with expendable coin. And he now, I think he's got about 8 million Instagram followers or something mad like that. But he now will probably go on to make more money than anybody currently in that division just because he fully understands how the real world's working and he's merging it with his, the boxing world. Whereas there's too many, I think, right now who think, well, the boxing world's always done it this way, so this is the way we've always got to do it. You know what I mean? You, you build your way up and you take 30 fights to get to this certain yeah. level. The and tradition blah, 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 blah. rather than necessity, right? Yeah, but I'm sorry, that doesn't work for what you were, what many people would class as the casual audience. And people throw shade on the casual boxing fan. Listen, they're the most important people in boxing. They're the ones that you want. They're the ones with the door. The hardcore are always going to be here. They're hardcore coming back week after week. They're going to watch stuff in leisure centers, man. So basically now, like, are you saying that in a numbers thing? It's no like a real life celebrity death match, isn't it? So if if there is, then it it might be the same answer. Take take this for example, right? I'll give you an example of a fight this weekend. So this weekend in the UFC, there's a British fighter called Leon Edwards fighting a kid called Bilal Mohammed, right? Now, Leon's been out the octagon for about 18 months. He's on, I think he's on an eight-fight winning streak, which is unheard of in this division. Only the champions got more consecutive wins than him. And he still hasn't had a world title fight. Why? Because he doesn't sell. He doesn't sell to the American audience right now. You've got Masvidal in that uh, in that division, who's absolutely blown up and people have gone crazy for. Colby Covington, gone crazy for. There's loads of other names that I can mention there that are probably ahead of him on the sales factor. This weekend, if he wins... Obviously, he goes nine straight, right? But it's how he wins this weekend in order to get that title fight. Now, he could comfortably, he's a supreme mixed martial artist. He could go into this fight for 25 minutes and smash this kid to bits for 25 minutes and have his hand raised as a decision. That will not get him a title fight. He needs to go and get a viral moment. A moment that goes around the internet and exists in people's phones. Jeez, man. That flying knee from Leon Edwards. You see that last night? And then the hype train will go. That's how this game works. That's why women's boxing's failing at the moment because we're not giving them them the opportunity to have the viral knockout moments. We're making them fight for two minutes around. Give them three minutes around and you watch people like Clarissa Shields knock people out because it's a lot harder to survive for three minutes than it is for two. You know what I mean? Well, man. Well, I've got to say thank you for bringing your vase and easing me in gently as I'm, you know, just kind of... Been lubed up, haven't you? Yeah, mate. Been lubed up by the fox, foxy boxing. Um, and it is nothing to promote, and I really appreciate your time being on there. Listen, I know that you've got podcasts and stuff. A quick uh, mate, what, what No, listen, what I want... I'll tell you what I want to promote. You sent me a quiz Right. I want to know how I've done on the quiz. <laughs> I ain't promote, I am, I'm not promoting any of my stuff. People know what the crack is, yeah? So I'm going to stick to the rhythms of your podcast with nothing to promote. But if you send me a quiz, I want the bloody answers for the quiz, right? You, I can't give you the answers on here because that's going to spoil yeah. it. But being the first guest, you're at the top of the leaderboard at the moment, mate. No, thanks for that, mate. Yeah, 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 yeah. <clears throat> you got 12. Did I? 12. I, I, what is it? Was it 18? I, I, what was it? Um, yeah, maybe. Yeah. Right, right. I want the full bloody answer sheet. Mate. You better take... 
Yeah. You better text it, man. I want the full bloody answer sheet. No, you'll get the answers, mate. But um, listen, just finishing up, I sincerely want to say thank you for uh, for easing me in, helping me out on this. It's been a real pleasure to catch up, mate. And uh, listen, good luck with it. We can't just keep going on about how amazing you are at your job, but it's just nice to see. And I hope that it just keeps on going. And from there to there to there, and we'll be following you all the way, mate. Appreciate it, my man. And hopefully, um, once Boris gives us the thumbs up, I'll uh, I'll come and play Gary Barlow for you again in uh, in some random club in Ibiza. <laughs> <laughs> Listen, mate, absolute legend, top man. Take See care, you, mate. Ta-da. Thanks, boy. So there you have it, episode one in the can. I'm sure you'll agree whether you're a boxing fan or just a lover of bingo. Adam comes across so well and proves just why his recent success is so apparent. His personality, his warmth and just that northernness just makes you feel so much at home. I just hope that when he says that we should speak to people and with people rather than at them, that becomes something that's signature throughout this pod and throughout this broadcast. Here's to next week when it's something completely different but somebody else with nothing to promote. We'll see you then. In the meantime, have a good one.